Amen. All right, we are in Acts chapter 13 tonight. Acts chapter 13. You're going to be going verse by verse through the whole chapter. This is a long chapter. A lot of stuff I want to cover tonight. And uh, there's some really, really good stuff in here that just absolutely obliterates some false doctrine uh, that is preached, unfortunately, even in some Baptist churches today. Uh, especially in when it comes to things like dispensational salvation. And if you are a normal Baptist and you are against dispensational salvation, uh, this message is for you because there's a lot of really good ammo in here. Some very key verses uh, that um, don't, I don't think we talk about these ones enough. I don't think we bring them up enough. I think these verses are ignored in a lot of churches and for, uh, I think there's a reason a lot of them are ignored, but you might want to make some notes on this tonight because some really good stuff. But we want to go through the whole chapter, so let's start reading in verse 1. It says, Now there were in the church that was at Antioch a certain, or certain prophets and teachers as Barnabas and Simeon, which was called Niger, and Lucius of Cyrene, and Menaean, uh, which had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch and Saul. And they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, Separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereunto I have called them. And when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. So notice that even the Apostle Paul had a sending church. You could say his sending church was in Antioch. And we've been talking about how Antioch has kind of become a very important place for the Christians because... They got ran out of Jerusalem, and this was a place where a lot of them were at, where a lot of things took place, where the Apostle Paul has spent a lot of time in Antioch, and he's also um, had already done a job for the church. They had been commissioned to go take up a collection for the saints, that they had already done that job. And so now they've got, uh, they, there's another need. The church has a need. We've got, we need to send somebody to do a work, and the church said, you know what, let's, send Barnabas and Saul. And so we have these leaders in the church that they laid hands on them and they sent them out. So even the Apostle Paul had a sending church and we're not going to preach about church authority and you know the importance of that, but this is a good verse to just kind of prove the importance of that, that uh, if you are going to have a ministry that is a part of the church, you know, you need, and I, I think Christian ministries ought to be out of a church. I think any, any ministry, whether you're a missionary, uh, you ought to be sent out by a church. If you're an evangelist, you know, if you have uh, whatever, and there's a lot of different kinds of ministries out there. And I'm, I'm for all of them. I'm for anybody that's doing something for the Lord, doing something that's reaching people for Christ. Uh, even some, you know, even if it's a unique, weird ministry, and there's some, there's some weird ministries out there. It's like, well, I don't think that's super important, but I'm glad you're doing something. We'll probably not support it, but I'm glad you're doing it. You know, it's better than doing nothing. And I think as long as it's out of a local church, then, you know, you're legit. So, uh, I think this verse is more ammo for that. But verse 4 says, So they being sent forth by the Holy Ghost. So notice it was men that sent them out. It was men that laid hands on them. But they did it after much fasting and prayer. And they did it with the authority of, you know, of the church behind it, which is, and Jesus Christ is the head of the church. So it wasn't just a church sending these guys out. The Holy Ghost is sending him out because God's behind it. And so it says, sending forth by the Holy Ghost departed to Seleucia. And from thence they sailed to Cyprus. And when they were at Salamis, they preached the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews. And they had also John to their minister. Now notice, 
Paul has not been sent to the Gentiles yet. This is something that's going to happen later. And a lot of what makes Paul go to the Gentiles the way he did are the events that happen in this chapter. Once again, what we are seeing is while we kind of know the end of the story, you know, these guys are in the middle of it right now. They're living it. And these things did not happen overnight. And we've been showing over and over again how there were things that God did not reveal overnight. He revealed over time. And while the Apostle Paul, there's no doubt, and we see that in his conversion, that God intended for him to go to the Gentiles, it's not fully manifest to him yet. He doesn't fully understand it yet. And like everybody else was, he's mainly going to the Jews during that time. And so he's going to the synagogue of the Jews. And so keep that in mind. But notice also here how they have John as their minister. Okay, John is their minister. Now, what does that mean? Okay. A minister is just a servant. Okay. John, he's just there to help these guys out. He's like an assistant. Okay. And a minister, that's what they are. They just minister to the needs, whatever is needed. And back then, uh, you know, having, you know, probably, you know, some younger guy that can minister to a lot of the physical needs would be very helpful in a world when they didn't have transportation like we do today and where, uh, any, you know, evangelistic work was going to be very physical. Okay, today your average Baptist evangelist is usually extremely, you know, overweight. You know, you know why is that? Well, because they travel around in comfort for the most part. They stay in nice hotels and they get fed a lot of fried chicken. And so as a result of that, you know, they struggle with their weight. Well, back then travel was not easy. Travel was very difficult. It was very physical. And, you know, and they didn't have all the luxury hotels. They didn't have uh, all the fried chicken meals and things like that. And so, um, you know, we, we don't think about this stuff a lot, but, you know, having some young guy that can minister to a lot of those physical needs would have been a blessing back then. And so that was John's job. So keep that in mind because he's going to be mentioned uh, more in a little bit. It says in verse 6, And when they had gone through the aisle unto Paphos, they found a certain sorcerer, a false prophet, a Jew, whose name was Bar-Jesus, who was with the company of the country of Sergius Paulus, a prudent man who called for Barnabas and Saul and desired to hear the word of God. But Elymas, the sorcerer, for so is his name by interpretation, withstood them, seeking to turn away the deputy from the faith. And so this sorcerer, you know, like, you know, all these false prophets, they were all about keeping people from the truth for their own personal gain. And let me tell you something. This right here is a clear example of a false prophet. No doubt about that right here. And I think it's important to understand that too because, you know, Paul has some pretty harsh words for this guy as we should have for false prophets. And so it says, Then Saul, who also is called Paul, filled with the Holy Ghost, set his eyes on him. So this is the first time Saul is called Paul in the Bible. Up, You know, at this point, uh, he'd been being called Saul, but now... We're about to see things change where he is now known as Paul. And notice what Paul says to this false prophet. And he said, O full of all subtlety and mischief, thou child of the devil, thou enemy of all righteousness, wilt thou not cease to pervert the right ways of the Lord? And now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon thee, and thou shalt be blind, not seeing the sun for a season, and immediately there fell on him a mist and a darkness, and he went about seeking some to lead him by the hand 
Then the deputy, when he saw what was done, believed, being astonished at the doctrine of the Lord. And notice, Paul, he had no mercy for this wicked deceiver. This guy was purposefully leading people to hell. And let me tell you something. I am 100% for being harsh against false prophets. But let me just say this. Make sure they're a false prophet. Okay? And there is, there's a difference, too, between that person who is, in, who is deceived. There's a difference between a Saul of Tarsus who's doing something ignorantly in unbelief and the actual reprobate false prophet, this guy like Elenus the sorcerer. There, there's a difference. And uh, a lot of times people get labeled false prophet, you know, because maybe they have a mistake in their doctrine or maybe they might even be lost, you know, because nobody showed them the truth yet. And so the, the, the problem is a lot of times people will see that error and then just boom, false prophet. That's our excuse to treat them like garbage. Watch out for that kind of thing. Okay. And so, you know, and then you, you call people out for that. They'll use this story as precedent, but you know, Paul got it right, okay? And we don't always get some of these things right. And Paul was able to get it right too because he was, you know, he was led of the Holy Spirit. And I do believe he got it right. And he had no mercy for this wicked deceiver. I mean, curse the guy with blindness. Okay? And so I think that's a sign he got it right too. If he'd have got it wrong, I don't think God would have let this curse go through. You know, the curse causeless isn't going to come. And that's why, maybe that's why none of your imprecatory prayers ever work against people. Because, you know, you're, you're praying them against the wrong people. You know, you're praying, you're, you're praying them against people who just, you know, are in a state of unbelief, you know, just haven't been told the truth yet. And the guy who the first time he meets him is praying imprecatory prayers against them is probably not going to win them to Christ. So, uh, you know, we've, we've got to get these things right. So verse 13, Now when Paul and his company lose from Paphos, they came to Perga and Pamphylia, and John, departing from them, returned to Jerusalem. Now, the Bible doesn't give us any details right here about why John departed from them. But, right here, when John departs, this is the event that is referred to in Acts 15, in verse 37, where it says, And Barnabas determined to take with him John, whose surname was Mark. And this is his nephew. But Paul thought not good to take, with, take him with them, who departed from them from Pamphylia and went not with them to the work. And then you all know the story. This ended up causing a lot of contention between Paul and Barnabas that eventually led to their separation. So the Bible does not tell us why John left them, but you know what? He left them. And Paul was obviously very disappointed in him and it ended up causing some problems later on. So... Um, but this is that little detail in there. Um, you can connect that with what we see in Acts 15. And we'll probably say more about that whole thing when we get to Acts 15. But verse 14 of Acts 13 says, And when they departed from Perga, they came to Antioch in Pisidia and went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and sat down. This is not proof that we should have church on Saturday. Okay. Now, can anybody tell me why Paul decided to go to the synagogue on the Sabbath day. You know why? Because he was sent to preach to the Jews. And where are the Jews going to be at on, the, on Sabbath day? In the synagogue. If you want to preach to the Jews, that's the place to go. And so a lot of times what people will do too, and I've seen people do this before, mostly in the online world or with Hebrew roots clowns and things like that, 
is they will just isolate that verse right there. Look at Paul. He's going to the synagogue on Sabbath day. We should have church on Sunday. No, we shouldn't. You know, if I was going to go try to reach a bunch of Muslims, you know what? I would go find where they hang out on Friday. And I would probably also die, uh, you know, in the process of preaching to them. But, you know, you, you want to go, you know, where they're all at. I used to, I've always said this too. Like, if I ever just found out I was going to die of cancer or something like that, you know, there's no glory in dying that way. So it's like, I'm already going to die. I might as well go out in a blaze of glory. I thought, I'm going to go to some Muslim country and just see if I can spark a revival. And I'll either spark a revival or I'll get martyred. And then, you know, rewards. But I don't know. I don't know if the Lord will let me do that. And I don't know if that really counts as a sacrifice if I was going to die anyway. So, you know, uh, it's, it's one of those things we can all talk about and speculate on. But, but either way, so what I want us though right now Keep this in mind. So Paul, he's sent. He's wanting to reach the Jews. He goes and he's about to preach to them in the synagogue. And I want us to pay very close attention to Paul's sermon that he preaches to the Jews. Because we're going to see this sermon that he preaches sounds an awful lot like Peter and Stephen's sermon that they preached. And if you remember, as we were going through, we went through Peter's sermon. We went through Stephen's sermon. What did those guys do? You know what they all did? They went and they started out giving their history. That was just kind of something they would do with them. They would give them their history. And then it would eventually lead to Jesus Christ. And then they would call them out for crucifying him. That was typically what would happen. And then call them to repentance and to believing on Christ. So we're going to see Paul. He does something very similar. And I think that's interesting here. Because supposedly the Apostle Paul had a different gospel than Peter. According to, you know, our Ruckmanite, I won't call them brothers, <laughs> friends, they'll, they'll say that they, Paul had preached a different gospel. But folks, Paul's preaching the gospel and, and, and watch. You say, well, it's because he's preaching it to the Jews right now. All right? I already know what the excuses the Ruckmanites are going to come up with, but just, you know, keep, keep all these things in mind. I, I think this chapter just destroys, you know, so much stuff that they teach. So, verse 15 and because this chapter two also confirms some things I've been showing throughout the book of Acts too. But verse 15 says, and after the reading of the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogues sent unto them saying, ye men and brethren, if ye have any word of exhortation for the people, say on. Now this is an interesting type of service they have going on here. So basically what they did in this service, they had a public reading of the scriptures. Now the Bible does not tell us what scriptures they read. But they got up and they read a bunch of scriptures to the whole congregation. They got done reading and they're like, all right, anybody got a message of exhortation? Imagine if we had service like that. I mean, that might be kind of fun to do sometimes. You know, and I'd say it was biblical because they did it in the Bible. Of course, these were, un, you know, unbelieving Jews. So, you know, it probably isn't the best excuse for it. But what, that would be interesting to just get up sometime and just read a passage of scripture and then to say, all right, based on what we just read, does anybody in here have anything to encourage the audience? And then just get up and somebody just stands up and they just start preaching from that scripture. I think that kind of sounds like fun. I, I, I don't know. I was, when I was reading this, I was thinking, maybe we'll try that sometime. Uh, you know, maybe, we'll, maybe we'll do that for leadership training sometime. You know, we'll, we'll do that. I'll read a scripture. All right. Anybody feel like preaching now? Because sometimes, too, I, you know, I hear a scripture read and it doesn't all of a sudden I want to preach. That happens a lot when I'm reading a scripture 
and I'm one, you know, and I'm already preaching on something, but then I'll, I'll, I'll see something in that scripture makes me want to preach on something else. It's like all of a sudden I got a word of exhortation from that. So I don't know. I don't know that I'm against what they're doing right here. I'm thinking there might be, uh, some, might be something to this, but that's what they did. They read the scripture and then asked if anybody had anything to say. So verse 16, then Paul stood up and beckoning with his hand said, men of Israel and ye that fear God, give audience. So the apostle Paul's like, oh man, they're opening up for preaching. I'm in. <laughs> and so he does, he stands up. And, and think about this. The Apostle Paul, he had every right and reason to stand up because you know what? He was, in fact, a Jew, wasn't he? He was a Jew. He legally has every right and reason to stand up. And you better believe after he hears them reading the Scripture, he had a word of exhortation to give. Paul is not just going in there infiltrating. What they just did and what they just called on for someone to do, the Apostle Paul had every right and he had every reason to do it. And not only did the Apostle Paul get up and give a word of exhortation, but it was biblical according to what they read. Because we as New Testament Christians, we are not against the Old Testament. We are 100% with the Old Testament. We are for the Old Testament. The only difference, we just have fuller understanding of it. And so the Apostle Paul, he's definitely got a word. And you know, everything that the Apostle Paul taught about salvation was based off the Old Testament. I'm planning on preaching a sermon Sunday night where I'm going to be, I'm going to be showing. I, I'm, I'm going to be showing what the Apostle Paul preached. It was from the Old Testament. We did not get a new gospel in, with the New Testament. We got a clearer picture of the gospel. But that clearer picture that the Apostle Paul gave he based it all off Scripture. It's amazing how much of our New Testament is just quoting the Old Testament. A lot of it is. And so, the Apostle Paul, he is about, like Peter and Stephen, to give some history of them as a people. And so, much of what he is about to say in this introduction to his sermon he's about to preach, all the Jews would say amen to. So, let's look at what he says in verse 17. It says, The God of this people of Israel chose our fathers... And exalted the people when they dwelt as strangers in the land of Egypt, and with an high arm brought he them out of it. And about the time of forty years suffered he their manners in the wilderness. And when he had destroyed seven nations in the land of Canaan, he divided their land to them by lot. And after that he had gave unto them judges about the space of four hundred and fifty years until Sam of the prophet. And afterward, they desired a king, and God gave unto them Saul, the son of Kis, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, by the space of forty years. And when he had removed him, he raised up unto them David to be their king, to whom also he gave testimony and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, which shall fulfill all my will. Now, this is just my opinion right here. But I, I tend to think that chances are they had been reading scripture about Saul and David. That, that's just my opinion, and I kind of think that's why uh, Paul kind of uses that as his text. You know, if he's going to preach a sermon to them, if he's going to give them a word of exhortation from something that they've just, you know, read, and if the Old Testament is all about Jesus, I mean, let's use the scripture they just read. Don't go to a different one. Let's use the one that they just read. Hey, you all just heard the scriptures read. I'm going to preach you from that. It was probably either something from you know, First and Second Samuel, or it could have been something from the Psalms too, something about David, because of you know, I I just believe that based on what he kind of introduces Jesus with. 
So everything he's read so far, or everything he said, the Jews would be in agreement. Now, Paul is about to go to Old Testament prophecy to preach Jesus to them. And so it's, and this is why I think he could have been, they could have read some of Psalms. I don't know if they were reading exclusively from Psalms or if they read maybe a little bit from all over the Bible. I don't know. Who knows? Maybe they even sang some of these Psalms while they're in there. I don't know. But I, I, it just makes sense. Paul probably would have used Scripture they've been looking at. So it says in verse 23, it says, Of this man's seed, talking about David, hath God, according to His promise, raised unto Israel a Savior, Jesus. And notice the emphasis we see on how these things were to Israel. And they were. God promised a Savior to Israel. God promised a seed from David to Israel. God promised these things to him. It's in, it's in prophecy all over the Old Testament. And so in verse 20, and so Paul, he doesn't beat around the bush. He's just letting them know right from the get go. Hey, Jesus is the fulfillment of all these things. The apostle Paul had not heard from a lot of these Judaizing type Christians, you know, these, you know, Israeli flag waving Christians that we got to be careful mentioning the name of Jesus around the Jews because it offends them. The Apostle Paul just right away, he gives them a little bit of history. And he's like, let me tell you who he's talking about. It's Jesus. Right away, he just names Jesus, not ashamed of it at all. Now, let me tell you, you talk about Jesus around the Jews, they're probably going to treat you like they treated Paul. And Paul got treated pretty bad most of the time. And I think that's why a lot of people are afraid to say the name of Jesus around the Jews. Because they don't want persecution. But you know what? You're not going to get them saved without the name of Jesus. So verse 24 it says, when John had first preached before his coming the baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel, and as John fulfilled his course, he said, Whom think ye that I am? I am not he, but behold, there cometh one after me, who shoes his feet I am not worthy to loose. Men and brethren, children of the stock of Abraham, and whosoever among you feareth God, to you is the word of this salvation sent. And so Paul, he's preaching to these people as if they were believers in the Bible because they claim to be. They literally just got up and read the scriptures. I mean, they and probably with great reverence all gathered together just to hear the scriptures read. And so the apostle Paul, he's listening to read those scriptures and he's thinking, wait till I tell them, you know, wait till I let them know. Surely they're going to believe this because these scriptures are all about Jesus. He sees it crystal clear. I don't know that the Apostle Paul fully understands yet. He hasn't written 2 Corinthians yet. I believe where it is where it talks about the veil that's over their heart. He's figuring it out during this time. But he probably felt a lot the way I did when I was at the Temple Mount Institute and the lady there is describing the sacrifices that they did and uh, uh, the uh, annual sacrifice that they would do. And as she's describing it, all of us Christians, we're in there like, you know, we're, the whole time we're just like, she's preaching Jesus. And people are amening. People are, ladies are crying. And she's just looking confused. Because we're getting all excited as she's telling us about how that high priest, he would take that sacrifice and he would, he would, uh, he would lay on it and it was as if he was becoming the sin. And everybody got excited. And she's just, she's just getting confused. And we're all there like, 
Can't you see it? And you know what? They can't. You know, it, it veils over their heart. But, you know, it, it, it's, it's frustrating. And, and one of the funniest things, too, you know, when we went on that trip, you know, our tour guide was Jewish. And, you know, you've got it. You've got when you have a Jewish tour guide in a bus full of Baptist preachers who really love Jews, too, they are all going to want to get him saved. And that's good. Okay, and that is that that's a really good thing. But it was funny because our the leader of our group, you know, they'd had this guy several years, they knew him, and, and he just kept saying, He's like, Listen, we've all tried with him. <laughs> he's like, you know, he's like he kept you know, he'd tell me, you know, go ahead and try. But I, I just I don't think it's I don't think you're gonna get him. And I saw so many Baptist pre you know, so so many of the preachers, I mean just because he would go and he would show us a lot of these Jewish things and talk about a lot of this Jewish stuff, and then they'd just be like how does he not see this is all about Jesus? And then he would take us to the Jesus sites and he knew all about them. I mean, this guy knew more about the Bible than a lot of Christians do. But yeah, he doesn't get it. Still doesn't understand it. And, you, and just the frustration at every pastor that was there the first year that this guy just wouldn't get saved. They just, they didn't understand it. And you know, but even our, our leader, he understood that verse. It got a veil over their heart. Even he understood that. And it is, it's, it's frustrating. Apostle Paul, I don't think he knows that yet. So just, you know, imagine his frustration after they read all these scriptures about Jesus. He gets up and tells them about Jesus. And then they don't, you know, for the most part, accept it. So he did, he expected them to believe the Bible that they were reading. And so this, this next verse, it's so important because this verse has been used by many Baptists who you know, rightfully teach against dispensational salvation. Unfortunately, some of the people that are really promoting this verse and putting it out there, they're wrong about a lot of things concerning Israel. And so they've got a lot of inconsistencies and are doing a bad job winning people over with this. But uh, this is a very important verse right here. This is one you should probably underline. But it says, For they that dwell at Jerusalem and their rulers, because they knew him not, nor yet the voices of the prophets which are read every Sabbath day, they have fulfilled them in condemning him. Hey, this is the Apostle Paul speaking here. Now, you've got to get a hold of what he's saying right here. So he's just told them about Jesus. He's just announced that that Savior that God promised to David that was going to come from his seed, his name is Jesus. He's the one that John the Baptist preached. And he says, For they that dwell at Jerusalem... Okay, so he's talking about a, a different group of Jews because these ones that they're just getting to, they don't know what all has taken place yet. They haven't heard about Jesus yet. So in a sense, you know, they're not completely guilty of the crucifixion of Christ. They haven't had a chance to reject him yet because he hasn't been presented yet. But those who had been, were at Jerusalem had. And so he says those at Jerusalem and their rulers, because they knew him not, because they didn't know Jesus, he says, also, you know who else they didn't know? They didn't yet know the voices of the prophets. Notice that Jesus and the voice of the prophets speak the same thing. Folks, who are those prophets? It's the Old Testament. It's the writers of the Old Testament. They spoke of Jesus. Specifically, they spoke of His death, burial, and resurrection. 
But the Jews, unfortunately, in Jerusalem, because they would not hear Jesus, because they would not have faith, because they would not listen to him, because they rejected him, they were not capable of hearing the voice of the prophets either. If you reject Jesus, you will not understand the Old Testament. You will not understand the voice of the prophets. You'll be like a lot of the Jews I was watching today. I was watching some videos from the Temple Mount Institute over in Israel that are trying to rebuild the temple. And I was listening to all these Jews talk about all the, about the, you know, if they could build a temple, all these prophecies it would fulfill. And these prophecies they were talking about were ones that Jesus fulfilled. Things that Jesus has, has already done. But yet they're looking to a building, you know, to have something accomplished that has already been accomplished through Jesus Christ. But you know what? They'll never understand those voices of those prophets until they accept Jesus Christ as their Savior. But, I say all that to say that to try to act like the New Testament is just teaching some new thing is so false. No. What Jesus did, what He taught, what He spoke of, what happened, it was what the prophets spoke about. But they didn't know the voice of the prophets, even though they were read every Sabbath day. And so because, even though every Sabbath day, they would get up and they would read the prophets that spoke about Jesus, because they didn't understand them, because they didn't hear them, you know what it says they did? They ended up fulfilling them. They ended up doing exactly what the prophets said they would do. And you know what that was? That would, They would reject him. He would despise and reject it. The stone which the builders disallowed, the same has become the chief cornerstone. I mean, uh, Sunday night, I'm planning on going through Isaiah chapter 53. The Jews obviously did not understand that passage at all. They didn't get it because you know what they did? They fulfilled it. They did all these things to them. And so Paul's saying, they did it. They fulfilled them in condemning him. And so... If you don't believe Moses and the prophets, you're not going to believe Jesus. And if you don't believe Jesus, you don't believe Moses and the prophets. So, and, and again, that's what the parable of the rich man and Lazarus is all about. If they don't believe Moses and the prophets, they're not going to believe the one rose from the dead. Okay? Jews, yes, they respond to miracles, but God's not going to give them miracles. The Antichrist will. The Antichrist is going to show them miracles. You know what they're going to do? They're going to accept them. But it's not gonna it's not gonna do him any good. In fact, it's just gonna get him in more trouble. So think about how they had this practice of every week reading a book that they didn't understand at all. That was and not only did they do that in Jerusalem, but they did it in this city. They did it all over. And look what it said. Uh, turn over to Acts chapter fifteen and verse twenty. It says. This is after they were trying to figure out what to do. You know, we're going to get to this in a couple of weeks about whether or not circumcision was necessary for salvation. And they're like, no, works of the law do not save anybody. They figure that out. They fully understand that. But they said, let's, but let's give these people who have, uh, who have been saved, let's give them some instructions and let's write unto them that they abstain from pollutions of idols and from fornication and from things strangled and from blood. So these are these are not for salvation, but just instructions for them as Christians, because they did not want them being offensive to the Jews. Because look what it says: For Moses of old time hath in every city them that preach him being read in the synagogues every Sabbath day. So Jesus was being preached every Sabbath day, you know, in the synagogues. 
Okay, now again, a lot of these Jews, they don't know it yet. They, it hasn't been fully revealed to them yet, but the last thing they wanted are a bunch of Gentiles who are professing Christ to be doing gross things and bad things that are going to be offensive to a people that they're going to want to get to and try to you know, present Jesus Christ to them. Because that's one of the things we're up against today. The name of Jesus Christ has been run through the mud by so many people. You know, a lot of, most doors you knock, the name of Jesus has been run through the mud by the Jehovah's Witnesses. And we've got to overcome that. A lot of people, they've gotten the wrong idea of Jesus because they've been to the Catholic Church and they've been to the Presbyterian Church and all these other groups. They've kind of ruined the name of Jesus. And so they didn't want these guys, you know, giving Jesus a bad name. But this is showing that Jesus was being preached as people are reading about him from the Old Testament in the synagogues. And so... Again, this is another reason why you would just naturally go to the Jews first. If you've got a group that's reading about Jesus every week and are looking for a Messiah, wouldn't it be the first people you go to and say, um, he's here? It just makes sense they'd be the first ones that you would go to. And so, uh, at the end of verse 27, uh, it says they didn't know, because they didn't know the voice of the prophets, they ended up fulfilling their words. And so it says in verse 28, and though they found no cause of death in him, yet desired they Pilate that he should be slain. And when they had fulfilled all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a sepulcher. Notice that phrase, underline that one and show it to the Rachmanites when it says when they had done all that was written of him, they laid him in a sepulcher. Now tell me, Try to tell me the death of Christ is not in the Old Testament. After they did everything that was written about him, what were those things? The nailing him to a cross, beating him, spitting on him, mocking him. All these things that Jesus did on the cross. You know, in Jesus too, before he gave up the ghost, what did he do? He said, I thirst. You know why? Because there was still another prophecy yet to be fulfilled where it talked about them giving him vinegar to drink. He's got to fulfill all of these prophecies. So, why? Because those things were written of him. So, sure enough, he did. They gave him the vinegar, and then, what did he do? He cried out, and he gave up the ghost. He had to fulfill all the things that were written of him. The New Testament, the death, burial, and resurrection, it is not a new gospel. It is not a new thing. It is not another, it's always been one gospel. So, verse 30 but God raised him from the dead and he was seen many days of them which came up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem who are his witnesses unto the people and we declare unto you glad tidings how the promise which was made unto the fathers. Notice, he said, we're declaring unto you glad tidings. Anybody know another word for glad tidings? The gospel. The gospel is glad tidings. So the Apostle Paul right after talking about the death, burial, and resurrection, all of those things were mentioned. Specific, I mean, he used the word burial. All of those things are mentioned. He said it was all written in the Old Testament. And he said, you know what we're preaching to you right now? Glad tidings. The gospel. He's preaching death, burial, and resurrection right here. So, and these glad tidings are things that were promised to their fathers. Well, where were those things promised to him at? In the Old Testament, in the, by the prophets. So he says in verse 33, God hath fulfilled the same unto us, their, their children, 
in that he raised up Jesus again, as it was also written in the second Psalm, thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. So Paul just talking about the resurrection said it was written of him. And then you know what he starts doing? He starts giving verses. He says, thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. So verse, uh, verse 34, and as concerning that he raised him from the dead, now no more to return to corruption. He said on this wise, I will give you the sure mercies of David. Wherefore, he saith also in another psalm, thou shalt not suffer thine holy one to see corruption. For David, after that he had served his own generation by the will of God, fell on sleep and was laid unto his fathers and saw corruption. But he whom God raised again saw no corruption. Be it known unto you, therefore, men and brethren, that through this man is preached unto you the forgiveness of sins. So Paul just literally went and gave scriptures and he preached glad tidings to the Jews and he already preached the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And he preached it the same way Peter and Stephen did. Same, same thing. So, listen, I dare you to tell me that the death, burial, and resurrection isn't in the New Testament. And I know if you search death, burial, and resurrection in the, New, in the Old Testament, you're not going to find a verse that says death, burial, and resurrection. But yet the Apostle Paul, he sure pulled it out of the Old Testament, didn't he? I mean, he, just, he literally preaches it right there. It was there. He preached the death, burial, and resurrection to the Jews, which according to 1 Corinthians 15 is the gospel. And the Rachmanites love to do that. 1 Corinthians 15, that's the gospel, death, burial, and resurrection. I know. And what does 1 Corinthians 15 also say? Christ died for our sins according to the Scripture. And He was buried and He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. Even, even that, their, their go-to verse debunks their doctrine. Wait, wait, wait a minute. Explain to me, you know, what, what specifically were those Scriptures? Uh, definitely wasn't the ones that Paul was preaching to the Jews when he would preach a death, burial, and resurrection, like from the Psalms. No, he was talking about the Old Testament there. So it is, it is one of the dumbest, what, what, they're do, what they're literally doing is they're acting like they're debunking what we teach by demanding we provide something that is unnecessary. And what they want us to do is they want, they're, they're demanding, all right, show me a verse in the Old Testament that says Abraham trusted in Jesus Christ and his death, burial, and resurrection for salvation. And you, and you have to have all those words in it. Well, listen, that's not the way God chose to reveal those things. That's not how he did. God revealed these things over time. God gave them shadows. And you know what? I can show you where Abraham believed that. According to the Bible, the Bible says when God told Abraham he was going to multiply his seed as the stars of heaven, that he believed God and it accounted him for righteousness. Well, how is that the death, burial, and resurrection? I'll tell you how that was a death, burial, and a resurrection. Because God multiplied his seed, not just through a biological line, but through Jesus Christ. And through Jesus Christ, all the nations of the world were blessed. And so, you know, that promise that God made to Abraham, that Abraham believed, we know and we can prove in the New Testament, is fulfilled through Jesus Christ. So if Abraham believed that, he believed in Jesus Christ. And, uh, you know, and, how, did, and how did Jesus do that? He was able to do all that through his death, burial, and resurrection. So, again, he didn't have to have the details because they weren't revealed at that time. So, let's, folks, Ruckmanites, 
I hate to be a jerk. They're not saved. Right? I mean, I'm sorry. It, they, these people, they believe other Gospels. Okay? I just, I, I, I try to be nice, but you have a tough time convincing me people that teach this junk are saved. And a lot of people get offended by that. But I just, I can't understand how you can be that twisted on the Gospel and be saved. I just don't get it. But anyway, look at what it says. So verse 39. And by him, all that believe are justified from all things from which ye could not be justified by the law of Moses. He's also preaching belief. He's preaching believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved to the Jews. He's not preaching a different gospel to them. This verse here all by itself debunks too the teaching that one must repent of sins or do some kind of works for salvation. And you know what it also does? It proves that works are not proof of your salvation. And listen, when you get saved, when, when, when a person gets saved, we immediately are saved, sanctified, justified, the whole nine yards. Okay? But understand, some of those different words kind of imply different aspects of our salvation. And justification, it is. That is the, that's the proof of our salvation. And our justification... It is in the blood of Jesus Christ. It's, it's in the cross. It's in His death, burial, and resurrection. That's how, that's how we prove we're saved. Here's the sacrifice. Here is a perfect, spotless sacrifice. Here is the proof of our salvation. Now, a lot of people today, they want to teach, well, you know, the way we can really know somebody's saved is if they have the works. Well, right here, the Apostle Paul said, you could not be justified by the things of Moses. And so you want to bring up works of the law as some kind of evidence that somebody's saved. You know what? You can't prove it. You can't prove anything that way. Now, listen, I'm always glad to see works when people get saved. But you understand, people can do good works and deceive. Many people are going to stand before the Lord and say, Do we not prosper thy name? Thy name cast out devils. Thy name do many wonderful works. People deceive people all the time through works, through works of the law. It, so, to, to use that as proof, okay, that's, just, that's not biblical, that's wrong. This verse right here, it debunks that. And I'm glad Paul used that word there, justified too. This is a good, work, this is a good verse to go to. Because my question is for people, it's like, well, you know, I get you know, justified before God, yeah, blood of Christ. But, you know, at the same time though, you know, we need some kind of, you know, we need some kind of work. But look, so, here, this is the question you just got to ask people. okay. What works of the law do I have to do to prove to you that I'm saved? And, you know, and watch them fall all over themselves. Because we all know better than that. You know, we all know better than to try doing something like that. Because if we're going to go with, with the law, we've got to go with all of it. And nobody can do that. Nobody has done that. And you know what every preacher is going to do when they try giving a list of things that you have to do to prove you're saved? They're going to end up condemning their own, their own selves. Because we all come short, we all have sins. So, verse 40. Beware therefore... Man, I tell you, there's so much good stuff in here. Beware therefore, lest that come upon you, which is spoken of in the prophets. Now, wait a minute. What do Jews have to worry about? Aren't they safe according to the Old Testament? Well, you people, you you think that bad's coming for the Jews. You just don't understand the Old Testament. There's all these promises to them. Guaranteed good stuff. Wait, no. Paul said, beware. Okay, not let some new thing that comes in the New Testament. No. 
if you don't believe, if you don't listen, there's some things that are in the Old Testament that are going to come upon you. If you don't, if you don't listen, if you don't get saved. So you go, verse 41, Behold ye despisers, and wonder, and perish, for I work a work in your days, a work which ye shall in no wise believe, though a man declare it unto you. Now, what was this scripture that Paul quoted? This is in Habakkuk chapter 1 and verse 5. Let's go ahead and read this scripture that Paul just quoted. Paul said, you guys watch out. If you don't listen to what I'm telling you here, the Old Testament has some verses about you guys and you're going to get nailed. And listen to what he said. Talking to Jews. Behold ye among the heathen and regard and wonder marvelously for I will work a work in your days which ye will not believe though it be told you. So right there is what Paul quoted. And then listen to what it says. For lo, I raise up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation, which shall march through the breadth of the land to possess the dwelling places that are not theirs. Now, we don't have time to do a whole Bible study in the book of Habakkuk, but what we're seeing here, this was a prophecy. This prophecy that Paul quotes is one that had already been a, a, a fulfilled. But at the same time, it was a prophecy that we see and we can prove from the Bible has a dual fulfillment. Because what he was because pro- first off, what was he prophesying of in Habakkuk's day? He was prophesying the destruction of Jerusalem. That's a, he was he was prophesying the coming of the Chaldeans that were going to come and that were going to destroy Jerusalem and that were going to destroy their temple. That's what he was prophesying of in Habakkuk's day. And guess what? That happened, didn't it? The Babylonians came through, they destroyed the temple. That was that was their judgment. And that Judah was going to be taken captive. Now, here's what's interesting. The Apostle Paul, he said, talking, talking to the Jews, if you don't listen to what I'm telling you, what the prophets spoke about is going to happen to you. This is something that already happened. But you know what? You know what happened 30 years after Paul said this to them? The heathen came through and they destroyed the temple again, didn't they? And then the Jews got scattered throughout the whole world. That was a fulfillment of that prophecy. Right there is another. People who don't believe in dual fulfillments. My friends, that is a dual fulfillment. Everyone would agree Habakkuk, what he was writing about, was the Babylonian captivity and the destruction of the temple. And the Apostle Paul, he preached it again and said, it's going to come to you. And sure enough, that's exactly what happened 30 years later. And so... There was, while there wasn't an immediate re- response from the congregation, we, you know, we do see that many people did immediately respond. So look at verse 42. It says, And when the Jews were gone out of the synagogue, the Gentiles besought that these words might be preached to them the next Sabbath day. So notice the Gentiles wanted to hear the same thing that Paul preached to the Jews. And let me tell you, Paul didn't preach a new go- different gospel to the Gentiles. He preached the same thing. They heard what he had to say. They wanted to hear about it too. And so, it says, Now when the congregation was broken up, many of the Jews and religious proselytes followed Paul and Barnabas, who, speaking to them, persuaded them to continue in the grace of God. And I love what he says there too about continuing in in the grace of God. What does this mean right here? And this this is important. We've talked about this a lot too. But this is what a real Jew would have done. This is what a real believing Jew during that time would have done if they were saved, if they were truly believers. Once Jesus Christ is presented to them, you know what they would do? They would continue in the grace of God 
and they would become a follower of Christ. And that was, so this is, this phrase here, this way of putting it was something that was exclusive to that generation. The Jews today, they have never been in the grace of God. They have never been the people of God. So, but these people, they were the people of God, but if they do not accept Jesus Christ, you know what? They're getting broken off as branches. They're done being used of God. Uh, they are going to be cursed. They're going to be in trouble. But those who follow Christ, you know what? Those were the real Jews. Those are the ones that were Jews in, on the inside and on the outside. And they would continue in the grace of God. And so that's what he, ta- that's what he said to, to the ones who followed them. Continue in the grace of God. So verse 44, And the next Sabbath day came almost the whole city together to hear the word of God. So we've kind of got a revival going on here, I guess. And whenever revivals happen, typically a lot of people get saved and then there's bloodshed. That's typically how they go. So, but when the Jews saw the multitudes, they were filled with envy and spake against those things which were spoken by Paul, contradicting and blaspheming. And this was always the problem with the Jews. Religious leaders hate seeing anyone with a following. And it's rare, you know, and in their hatred or their attacks on these people, it's rarely motivated by love of the truth or for love of people. It's always about maintaining their power. So verse 46, Then Paul and Barnabas waxed bold and said, It was necessary that the word of God should first have been spoken to you, but seeing ye put it from you, and judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life, lo, we turn to the Gentiles. And folks, this is where it really starts with Paul. And say, all right, my attitude's changing towards you. Remember how we looked at that a week or two ago? This is when Paul started getting some pretty negative feelings towards them. Like, listen, you guys just got up in the synagogue and you read scriptures about Jesus. I just got up and I let her rip and I showed you clearly from the Bible that Jesus is the Messiah and this is how you respond to it. Well, in the meantime, I've got this whole city ready to hear what I have to say. I've got all these Gentiles ready to hear what I have to say. You know what? I'm done wasting my time with you. I'm going to the Gentiles. And you know what? Again, the book of Acts is ultimately showing the shift from the Jew to the Gentiles. That is the theme. That is is what we're seeing. We'll say more about that later in the book. And, And notice... Too, he, how he refers to them as being unworthy of everlasting life. Now, what made them unworthy? Okay, it wasn't their lack of works; it was their lack of faith. It was a lack of faith. So, verse forty-seven: For so hath the Lord commanded us, saying, "I have set thee to be a light of the Gentiles, that thou shouldst be for salvation unto the ends of the earth." And the apostle Paul, he now fully understands what Jesus said to him originally on the road to Damascus. It's so funny how many times in the Bible Jesus would directly tell the disciples and the apostles something like, I'm going to rise from the dead, and they didn't understand it until later. And it was like the you know, Apostle Paul, he was already told he was going to the Gentiles by Jesus, but it was like after this thing happened, all of a sudden, he thought back to what Jesus said to him, and he's like, you know what? That's my job. I'm going to the Gentiles. You know, he got a hold of it then. And so he majorly shifts his focus and he never really gave up on the Jews, you know, he, but he, and he still hasn't gotten his official commissioning yet from the church, but this is what set everything in motion. 
And so, you know, because here's the thing, too. You know, what's the point of wasting your time with a small group of Jews who are only going to fight with you when you have an entire city that wants to hear the truth? And again, I'm all for taking the gospel to everybody. But let's not waste a whole lot of time banging our head against the wall with people who are fighting us when we've got other people who are ready to listen. And a lot of people, they do. They waste way too much time. I've got a burden for these people. Listen, God give you a burden for somebody. You know, go ahead and do something about it. You know, I, I, I'm fine with that. But I don't think that we as a, a church necessarily have to just force ourselves. And, and I know preachers today that are literally teaching. And I'm probably going to address this hopefully in one of these chapters. Um, that it is our New Testament Christian duty to all go to the Jew first specifically in Jerusalem that you if, if you are bypassing that you are not doing the first things it is like building a roof before you've laid the foundation and things like that and I, I, I want to address that eventually but folks that is absolutely ridiculous all these churches talk about reaching their Jerusalem no the Bible means no you reach Jerusalem no, you know what? I'd rather go to the Philippines. I'd rather go to Mexico. I'd rather go just about anywhere. I, I, I really would. <laughs> I mean, it, you know, it's, you know, this passage, I mean, the Apostle Paul, he, he didn't, he wasn't getting with the program on that. But again, that's sermon for another day. But verse 48, <clears throat> when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and glorified the word of the Lord. And as many as were ordained to eternal life believed, and the word of the Lord was published throughout all the region. But the Jews stirred up the devout and honorable women. CNN showed up, Anderson Cooper, and the chief men of the city, and raised persecution against Paul and Barnabas, and expelled them out of their coast. Rachel Maddow showed up, all of them. George Soros got his group together and uh, bust all the you know lewd fellows of the base resort out there. Got everything going. Everybody fired up. Ran them out of their coast. But you know what? They shook the du- off the dust of their feet against them and came to Iconium. And so I'm very thankful Paul didn't waste his time trying to reach them when it clearly was a lost cause. Because you know what? And we need to be careful not to waste our time with lost causes. And so it says the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Ghost. And so over all the... You know, this is another chapter really with where there's really great victory taking place. And I do, I believe it was finally in this chapter where God revealed to Paul he wasn't going to accomplish anything with the Jews. And the focus needed to be on the Gentiles. It said, a hindsight allows us to see the truth much earlier in the book of Acts, but again, they didn't learn these things overnight. And so while his preaching fell flat going to the Jews, it didn't with the Gentiles. Great, great things were done. So with that, let's pray. Dear Lord, I thank you so much for this amazing chapter and just the wonderful truths that we can learn from it. And Lord, I pray that you'll just help us to uh, learn from this. Lord, help us to go to people that are receptive and uh, not waste our time on lost causes. And Lord, just pray you'll help us to just do many mighty works, follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. And uh, Lord, we just thank you uh, for just all that you've given us uh, with salvation, all that comes with it. And just being able to understand this book is an amazing thing. And we thank you for the truths of it. In your name we pray. Amen.